If you have a copy of God's Word, please turn to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Uh, we don't have this one up on the screen, but you can find it in the e-bulletin on Google. Uh, one of the pew Bibles in front of you. There's many different ways to uh, follow along if you'd like to. We encourage you to. I've called our Christmas series this year Six Christmas Cards or Portraits. Maybe you've heard them all. Maybe you've heard none of them. Either way, please hear what Luke, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us about Jesus' birth. From Luke 2, verses 1 through 20, hear now God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Grass withers, flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. Let's ask his blessing now as we consider his word. Let's pray. Oh, heavenly father, we thank you for this holy night. We thank you for all that we can celebrate and take joy in. Father, would you help us to hear all that you have to say to us, your people. Speak to us, Lord, for your servants are listening. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. What kind of wrapping paper is your favorite? My brother's favorite kind of wrapping paper is nothing, nothing at all. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm sure that he loves bows and ribbons and nice wrapping paper. He certainly doesn't despise them if you give them to him. But if he gives you a gift, there's a good chance it will not be wrapped. One year, he threw somebody's gift in the shopping bag from Macy's or wherever it was and just handed it to him. One year, I think he wore the jacket or sweater or whatever that he was giving to me or someone, like a model or something, before he just handed it to me. 
Now, my dad thinks that story was me. Uh, he said that recently. I'm not sure. Maybe. I'm sure I was just imitating my big brother. But nonetheless, none of this is a criticism because he actually gives much better gifts, more generous, more thoughtful than I do. He simply doesn't like wrapping them. Can you appreciate a generous, gracious Christmas gift if it comes with substandard wrapping paper? Because that's what you see in Luke 2. You see the best gift ever wrapped in weakness. The gift of salvation, the Savior, Christ the Lord, the Prince of Peace. But he's wrapped in a manger. And manger doesn't mean baby crib, by the way, like I thought briefly when I was a kid, despite the best efforts of pastors and parents. No, the Lord of glory, born a child and yet a king, he is wrapped in those swaddling clothes, but those clothes, the baby inside, they're also wrapped in a manger, a smelly feeding trough for animals. I ask again, can you appreciate a generous, gracious Christmas gift? if it comes with substandard wrapping paper. I hope so, because that's what Jesus got you for Christmas. Let's take a look. Three brief points this evening. First, we see the circumstances of the manger. The circumstances of the manger in verses 1 through 7. Verses 1 and 2 give you that historical setting, this census that led to all of this. And scholars have verified these names and places and dates. Then verse 3 gives you the odd circumstance. They had to travel to their hometown for the census. We don't do that now, but that's what they did then. And then verse 4, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Prophetic alarm bells are going off at this point for those who are familiar with the Old Testament. Joseph is, is David's descendant and he's in David's city. Isn't, isn't that where the Messiah was supposed to be born according to Micah 5? And, and why did he go at this time in this way? Well, verse 5, he went to be registered, again the census, to be registered with Mary his betrothed who was with child. Both Luke and Matthew tell us that Mary became pregnant by supernatural means, by the power of the Holy Spirit, because this is not an ordinary baby. This is the Son of God, fully God, yet fully man. And apparently Mary is pretty far along in her pregnancy. And maybe, just maybe, they knew what Micah 5 said about the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. Maybe they planned some of this. God, of course, had planned it all. And then in verse 6, it says, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Verse 7, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In a manger. Why a manger? Again, there was no room for them in the inn. Why not? There just wasn't. We don't know why. Not exactly. People speculate about many reasons why. Some are more probable than others. The bottom line is Jesus is born in lowly circumstances. This is not a hospital birth. This isn't a home birth. This isn't even a hotel birth. This is a back alley of the hotel birth or thereabouts. They're sleeping among the animals. The only thing they can find for a makeshift crib is the manger, the feeding trough. Now, I'm sure they cleaned it out like good parents. 
but it may not have been all they hoped this moment would be. But it was all that God intended it to be. God ordained that Christ would undergo a state of humiliation to save his people from their sins. He would become like them in every way, yet without sin. He would veil his godhood in human flesh. He'd be born in a low condition. And where do you see that more clearly than here? The Lord of glory spent his first night in a human body sleeping in a feeding trough in a manger. Cows, horses, donkeys, probably interrupting his sleep. And all this is exactly how God intended it. That's, that's the circumstances of the manger. The next thing we see is the sign of the manger. The sign of the manger. Verses 8 through 15. How could the shepherds know that the angel's word was true? Well, they were supposed to look for a sign. Verse 12 says, a baby that's wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, a feeding trough. But back up with me, if you would. Verse 8, the first Noel, Noel means birth. The first Noel was to certain poor shepherds in fields where they lay, keeping their sheep on a cold winter's night that was probably smelly, dark, maybe depressing. Hard life being a shepherd. But then there's a light, verses 9 and 10. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Angel, glory, light, fear, and then fear not. And why not? Because he says, I bring you good news. Literally, I evangelize you. Euangelizomai in Greek, this is where we get the words evangelical, evangelize, all of those forms. You know, my great prayer is that when political pundits are going on and on about evangelical voters, that somebody would say, what does evangelical even mean? And that they would Google it and find out that it originally had nothing to do with how one voted, that they might read that first entry from Oxford Online Dictionary and they would say, oh my, Evangelical means according to the teaching of the gospel. Yes, the gospel or the good news. That's what the angel announces. And the manger will be proof of that truth, proof of that good news of great joy. Because as verse 11 says, a savior is born today who is Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. The one who's been promised from long ago, the anointed one. That's what Christ means, the chosen one, the one who will rule, who will put all things right. And if that's who has been born, then we must need to look for some kind of glorious parade to announce his coming, right? Well, there's a sense where that happens. If you look at verses 13 and 14, the heavenly choir of angels, they appear out of nowhere. They start singing the most beautiful Christmas carol anyone's ever heard. Before that, there's a curveball. The angel throws them a curveball. Where can you find the Lord of glory, the one that the angels are going to be singing about? What does he say back in verse 12? And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Swaddling clothes, normal for a baby. Back in the day, I could swaddle a baby pretty good. Don't know if my skills have eroded there or not. That's normal, swaddling clothes. 
but the manger is not. It's not normal for, for any baby, let alone this baby. This baby is a king, the Lord of glory. So why are his swaddling clothes surrounded by filth and lowliness? Because that is the way this king would conquer. During his first coming, Christ would not ride on the clouds, declare his rule. He would live among lowly, sin-riddled people like us. And after living the perfect life that we could never live, he would take a, a detour in a sense before returning to his throne of glory. A detour to our feeble minds maybe, but a predetermined destination to him. Of course, he would march straight to the cross dying a despised criminal's death because he would take all of our sins upon himself and die the death that his people deserved. He is wrapped in lowliness at birth to foreshadow the lowly death that he would die for our sake. If you're looking for the Savior, then look for the one with lowliness all around. Look for the baby in the manger, the angel says. As for you, as for all of us, if you're looking for salvation, then you need to look for the one who will endure lowliness for you. Max Dupree, author and former CEO of Herman Miller, he often said, good leaders don't inflict pain, they bear pain. They bear pain, they absorb pain. Do you want to find a leader, a savior, who will bear your pain? Then look to the manger. Look to this dirty feeding trough. That's the sign of the manger. And finally, this evening, we see the wonder of the manger, the wonder of the manger in verses 12 through 20. Verse 12, the angel tells them the sign of the manger, the proof of his truth, this confirmation of his good news. And once the angels are done singing, the shepherds, they, they want to see it. So verse 15, let's go. Let's, let's go see this. Verse 16, they go with haste. Let's hurry. Let's find Mary and Joseph. They do that. And they also find the baby lying in a manger. Third time that the manger is mentioned. You see, every time we see Jesus in this story, we see him in the manger, the sturdy feeding trough. But the lowliness of his birth, it doesn't dampen their enthusiasm, does it? No, verses 17 and 18, they, they tell their story, this thing, angels, it's amazing, Everyone who hears it is fascinated, just as they were. They wondered, it says. Verse 19, Mary treasures all of it like a proud mother would. And then verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Just like the angel said, the Lord of glory is wrapped in weakness and lowliness. The King of glory, lying in a feeding trough. And yet everyone who sees the Lord wrapped in weakness, they still worship him. They wonder, they worship. Not because he was cute or rich or powerful. He's none of those things, it seems, at his birth. You might say, well, you know, all babies are cute, right? Uh, sitcom Seinfeld once disagreed with that. And not trying to be irreverent, but Isaiah 53, 2 and 3 might echo that. Isaiah says, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The grandeur of his person 
It's contrasted by what you might call the wrapping paper, the dirty manger that defines his birth narrative, this symbol of lowliness that would characterize all of his life, even until the moment of his death. Some of that might seem shocking. It might seem weird. It might seem off-brand to you. It's not. Jesus is the Savior for the weak and the lowly. And how better to show that than to come to earth wrapped in lowliness and weakness. If you know that you're weak, then this is the Savior that you need. One who comes to earth wrapped in weakness. One who was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. One who would conquer through suffering, and yet one whom death could not conquer, could not hold. Jesus has given you the gift of salvation wrapped in weakness. But don't let looks deceive you. It's still the best gift you could ask for. Sins forgiven, shame removed because of the God-man who absorbed your sin and shame and punishment. That's what Jesus is giving you for Christmas. Oh, you might think the wrapping paper is substandard. I'd say it's perfect, fitting, perfectly on brand. And can you receive it? Can you receive this grand, amazing gift that's presented in weakness? Because that's what Jesus got you for Christmas. Are you ready to unwrap it? Are you ready to receive it? Because as we sang a moment ago, where meek souls will receive him, still the dear Christ enters in. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are so very good to us, your people. We thank you for showing us salvation. We thank you for reminding us that our Savior did not despise weakness, but he embraced it. Let us embrace him. Let us receive the great gift he is offering, whether it's for the thousandth time we realize anew our need of it, whether it's for the first time. Help us to receive the gift that he offers to us. We pray it all in Jesus' great name. Amen.